planted Sacred City, I believe that God called me to specifically uh, target and reach men. And um, I think statistics show this. If you reach the men, statistically, you reach the family. If a woman comes to, if a wife comes to faith, it's only like 30% of the time will the husband come to faith. But if a man comes to faith, 70% of the time, the woman and the family um, comes to faith. So in the beginning, my goal, my desire was to disciple men, to make disciples of men, and to uh, be a a church that focused on uh, men. I believe if you reach the men, you, you can change a city. And if you change a city, maybe you can even change a, a region, a state, a nation, on, on and on. So when I first planted Sacred City, I spent a lot of time with the men of the church. Uh, nearly every day I was working out with guys. Uh, I was reading books with guys. Uh, four to five nights a week we were uh, smoking cigars or having a beer or hanging out, d- making disciples. That's what we were doing. Um, many of you guys in here, you know, did that with me. And um, I guess you were lucky enough or unlucky enough, to, however you want to look at that, um, to do that, to be personally discipled by me in those early days. But I'm proud to say that here we are nine years down the road, and we have a lot of good, godly men in this church. Um, a lot of men who are loving their wives, who are leading their families, who are uh, serving our city, serving our Lord. And I'm really proud of that. Um, but here's one of the issues. Um, things look a lot different now than they used to. Uh, we're a lot bigger than we used to be. Um, it was so easy for me in the early days just to call some guys over and sit around the fire and just kind of chop it up. And now we've got way too many, uh, dues to do that. So I don't get to spend very much time personally with most of you. Uh, many of us have a bunch of young kids, Right. Uh, We've taken on more responsibility at work. Maybe we've even started businesses. We're leading missional communities. We're trying to make disciples for the glory of God. And so we don't get to hang out and, um, you know, personally, life on life, disciple one another like we used to. And um, now I hope that you're still doing that with guys in your missional community. I know, you know, you're still getting together and still doing that. But I miss being able to disciple you. And um, when I was in... Colorado this year, and I had some downtime, I began to think and pray about getting together with the men of our church for primarily two reasons. One, to sharpen the, sharpen the axe, as Proverbs says, to sharpen the axe of biblical manhood. Um, we all need to be discipled, all of us, no matter what level we're at. We need somebody ahead of us or somebody next to us helping us learn how to become a better man. And then secondly, um, to teach our young men how to swing the axe of biblical manhood, right? That our young men need godly men in their life who say, do this, not this. Who can go, see that guy? That guy's a moron. Don't do that, right? And our, our young men need that. And, and more and more, even, and when I say young men, of course, I mean my son who's 13 and But I'm also talking about 20-year-olds and 22-year-olds and 25-year-olds that didn't have a godly man in their life, and they don't understand what godly manhood looks like. And they need everything from a biblical vision of manhood to here's how, well, we, it's so weird. I was about to say balance your checkbook, but do people do that anymore? Here's how to, here's how to, you know, manage your finances, right? Um, That checkbook is a thing my wife has in her upper drawer that I never see, right? 
Um, and so just practical things about being a man and also uh, kind of a, a bigger vision of what it means to be a godly man. Now, being a godly man and raising up godly sons has always, it's always been important since the history of the world. But I'm not sure if there has ever been a greater need for godly men than right now. If, if 2020 has taught us anything, it should be that our world is literally teetering on the brink of chaos, right? This has actually always been the case since Genesis 3. It's actually since the fall of man in Genesis 3, but it's the grace of God or the, the, the common grace of God that keeps our world spinning right now. The common grace of God is the only reason we haven't been destroyed, right, in nuclear war. That, that man in our wickedness and our sinful hearts and our pride, that we haven't annihilated all living, all life on earth, right? Um, God is, the common grace of God is restraining evil in the hearts of man. Now, one of those common graces that God has used in the history of the world to restrain evil and to promote goodness and to promote justice has always been good men. The only thing that stops bad men from ruling the world is good men willing to risk their life and limb to stop them. That's it. It's that simple. It always has been. Well, for a long time now, our secular society has taught us and taught is teaching our kids that all men are basically good. And that's a lie. All men are not basically good. All men are born in sin. All men are bent in sin. All men are basically bad. And it is the grace of God that keeps bad men from being worse and keeps good men from being bad. And it's the resurrecting grace or the special grace or the sovereign grace of God that reaches into our hearts and changes bad men into godly men, right? And then godly men grow into becoming good men. Now, not only are, is our society teaching us that all men are good, and if all men are good, then it's really hard to, to differentiate between bad and good, right? And not only that, they're saying there's no such thing as morality, so who are you to judge between a bad guy and a good guy, right? That's, that makes being a good guy, really difficult. On top of all that, we've got that all religions are equal, right? So now we don't know, and that's a lie, right? There's only one God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, right? And we can say, we can literally say that um, Islam is a bad religion because it's a false religion that serves a false God, and they do horrible things in the name of their false God. We can stand up and say that. And of course, now the, the newest zeitgeist of our day is that it's shameful to even assume that there is such a thing as masculinity or manhood. This last week, <laughs> I laugh because of the absurdity, but this last week, CNN recently reported that instead of using the term man and woman, they said an individual with the prostate and an individual with the cervix. That's how they use, that's the nomenclature that they used in, because there's no such thing as manhood and womanhood supposedly anymore. See, listen, there's, there's a lot going on in our world and it's confusing and chaotic, but here's my premise this morning. This is the world 
that we were created to tame and rule. That we were created for such a time as this. Historians call the greatest generation of Americans the generation of Americans who grew up in the midst of the Great Depression, but then went on and met the challenge to the freedom of the world in World War II. That their, their greatness was solidified in the midst of the great difficulties they faced. And that's kind of the, high, the greater the difficulties, the greater the man to, to step up and, and, and stand up in the face of those difficulties. And I believe the same is true for us now, that God's calling us to step up and be better men. Our world needs it. Our country needs it. Our cities need it. Our church needs it. And of course, our family needs it. And I think, honestly, I think we need it too, right? One of the worst things about being born in, in our culture too is, is the temptation just to be bored, <laughs> right? Well, I think we've got great reason to not be bored. We weren't made for a life of leisure, safe hobbies, and video games. We are made to fight, to engage in the spiritual war that is going on for the cosmos and to push back this present darkness like our King Jesus has done and is doing. So what I want to do this morning um, is I kind of want to set the groundwork for biblical manhood. I'm going to go to Genesis and see how we were created and then learn some lessons there. And then I want to look to Jesus, of course, the greatest man who's ever lived to see how he modeled for us what it means to be a good man, a masculine man. And as I'm talking, if anything comes to mind and you have a question, you can write it down, put it in your phone, whatever. And at the end, I'm gonna, we'll have a Q&A and I'll do my best to answer them. So what I want to do tonight, may, or today, is just kind of set the groundwork, give us some big, big picture, biblical vision of what it means to be a man, let you guys ask questions at the end. And then maybe if this is helpful to you and you guys find this helpful or enjoyable, Maybe we could just put this on the calendar, do this a few times before the end of the year, Saturday morning, couple hours, come in and maybe get more specific as we go. So we can say, what does, it, what does it mean to be a biblical man at work next time? Or what does it mean to be a biblical man in the home? Or what does it mean to be a biblical man in the way that he reads or studies or whatever? And we just kind of, and it doesn't have to be me talking every time we can have other guys talk and we can just kind of chop it up, break it down and, and, and work through some of these things together. Cool? All right, that's where, that's where I'm going this morning. Let me pray and jump into it. Father, I do thank you for your grace to us, the common grace that's restraining evil in the world and your sovereign grace that's made us new. Um, I pray that you would help me teach this morning, um, that you would open up your scriptures through your spirit, that they would make us alive, that they would speak deep, um, that deep would call out to deep within us, that there would be something eternal, something true. Um, you've placed eternity in the heart of man, that there would be something in your word that would speak to the hearts of these men, that would awaken something inside of them to step into the potential, to step into what you've called them to do, and um, that you would encourage those who are discouraged and strengthen those who need to be strengthened. Think through my mind and speak through my vocal cords. May it be all of you and none of me this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible, open it up. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. Common scripture for us all, but anytime we're talking about what something is for, we need to go back and look at how it was created. <clears throat> I 
So Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God says this. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Now the first thing we see here is that God did something very unique in creation. Everything else that he created, he spoke it into existence and yet when it came time to form us, he literally got his hands dirty. He literally had a hands-on approach to making men and he formed us of the stuff of the earth, the dust of the ground, right? So he, he, he was intimately connected with us in our creation. And then what does he do? Then he breathes into us the breath of life, okay? What is that? That is the spirit of God or the, or the spirit of man that we are God-breathed. That means God has given us a spirit or a spiritual nature. This is what makes us different from the animals. You know, science wants to tell us that we came from animals and all of this stuff is going on. Well, the difference between us and animals is the spirit. It's not evolutionary progress. It's not that we've got, you know, opposable thumbs. It's that we have the spirit of God in us, right? That's what makes us different from animals. Well, what, that, what does that mean? That means every single man is spiritual, Every single man is going to relate to God in some way. We're going to relate to God as rebels or we're going to relate to God as sons. That's the only two options that there is. Okay? Now, in, one, in chapter 127, we know this too. God created man in his own image. God is a spirit. God is the three-in-one spirit. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So the first thing I want you to see about becoming a biblical man is that you cannot do it without knowing God in a spiritual sense. Like, that's what it means to be made in his image, to made, made to worship him. You have a spiritual nature. You're meant to spiritually know God. So that means to be a biblical man, the first thing we have to do is we have to lean into this, quote-unquote, spiritual side to us, the spiritual aspect to who we are. If we're going to be truly masculine men, we've got to have a spiritual relationship with God. Now listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 4, 23 through 24. He says this, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So here's my first point, guys. Real men worship God, right? Real men worship God. Now, I've been to far too many men's ministries that, you know, wild at heart and all this goof, goofy stuff that the first thing about men is we like to shoot guns, right? I, we, I do like to shoot guns. Guns are awesome. I do like to go hunting. I do like, you know, to enjoy special time with my wife. I do enjoy all those things. That's true about manhood, too. But the first re reality of manhood isn't that we like to get dirty and like women like to stay clean or, you know, whatever all the, the, the goofiness that we have in our culture is, that we're from Mars and she's from Venus. The rea first reality is we are created as spiritual beings to worship and know God spiritually. All of us, were created for that. So we need to 
If, if our idea of manhood doesn't involve being a spiritual person, then we need that to be reformed according to the word of God, right? Real men worship God. Real men worship God. Real men shouldn't feel any, listen, when I'm watching, right, Alabama football, right, and we're scoring touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, right, in the first quarter, and, and, I, and I'm jumping up, and I'm lifting my hands, and I'm excited, like I'm worshiping, right, and I don't feel any shame about that at all. I don't feel any, oh, what are they going to say about me, right? This is what it feels like, right, to be in the SEC, like you score touchdowns. It's amazing. I know Big Ten people don't get that, but it's all right. It's all right. You guys will play in the, you know, in the fall after national championships are already over, so, um, or in the spring. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm joking because we worship things. We get excited about things. You kill a buck, your heart's beating fast, you're excited, you go hang that sucker on the wall, you're pumped. You're, that's a wor- you're a worshiper. You're a worshiper. You're going to tell everybody about it. The same, you should have the same feeling, ma- feeling of manhood on a Sunday morning when we're worshiping our great God who's given us all those good gifts and who's saved our souls, right? You should be, your kids should be looking at you and saying, dad worships God. Dad worships God. Dad's a worshiper, right? Or young man, I'm a worshiper, right? So point number one, this is who we are, made in the image of God. We're worshipers. Now, I get we're all, some of us are more reserved, and some, but still, there's no excuse for not being passionate about Jesus, okay? You don't have an excuse to be like, to be dispassionate with your wife. Honey, you know I love you. I told you 18 years ago at the altar. No, you have to be expressive. You have to learn to be, now, you might not, you might, your dad maybe never was expressive. You might not understand how to express your emotions, you know, the only time you get emotional is when the bank account gets close to zero, right? Ooh, ooh. Um, but you have to learn how to do it. You have to learn how to do it. We're made, we're made to do it. Thank you, boss. <clears throat> I prefer coffee, though. <clears throat> coffee and staying calm. Is this, am I, what am I doing? What am I doing? Now, all right, the next thing I want you to see, I want you to go to chapter two, verse eight. I want to see where God put man. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, (laughs) in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. So God, and look at verse 15 too, because you can see it. He repeats himself there. The Lord God took the man, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God put Adam in the garden, um, a physical place, right? A place that needed his work. It says there, to work it and to keep it. Now listen. You <laughs> version. Love it. It's audible. <clears throat> God put Adam in the garden. Now, this is before the fall of man, and so everything is already good. Now, hear this. Everything is good, and God puts him in an unkept garden to work it and keep it. All, think about all of that entails. The working, the planting, the mending, 
right? The protecting, the planning. Where, where am I going to plant this? Where am I going to plant that? Where would that flourish? Where will that flourish? Before the fall. So many of us have this idea of work that it's a result of the curse, okay? Work is not a result of the curse. Work is an absolute blessing. It's what we were made for. Why do you think we have broad shoulders and strong backs, right? We were meant to carry a load, guys. We were meant to carry a load, right? You see a dump truck on the side of the road and you don't go, that thing was built for speed. <laughs> it was built to carry a load. That's what we're built to do. Right? You see a combine, it's out. what's it built for? It's out there to work the fields. That's what we were created to do. So he puts man in the garden. Right? Now, of course, Genesis 3 happens, and so work gets harder. Right? The curse makes everything more difficult. Right? Can you imagine the before and after of that? Like Adam's out there working and keeping, just killing it, and just everything's, man, this, just everything I touch is just flourishing. The next day, weeds and thorns and animals swooping down. <laughs> He's just like, I've really screwed the pooch on this one, right? I really made my life miserable. Yep, you did. So <clears throat> God puts Adam in the garden, okay? In the same way, we're placed here. In our, this people, this place, this time, we're here to work, we're here to keep. Okay, now God created Adam. The, the word that God uses there is he created Adam to have dominion. Look at chapter one, verse 26. <clears throat> then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have, look, dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 28, and God blessed them and God said let them said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and look subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens over every living thing that moves on the earth and then if we go to Genesis chapter 2 verses 19 he says there now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird and of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And when he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. What we see here is Adam was called to exercise dominion over all of the earth. We could say that he was created as a small L Lord. Now, this is really weird. We don't use the word Lord anymore. The only time we use the word Lord is when we're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but <clears throat> in my time of the Lord in the morning, one of the things I'm reading is I'm reading the works of John Newton. And John Newton, several, uh, alive several hundred years ago, when they still had lords on the earth. And he's writing letters to lords. He's writing letters to the lords of his society, the landowners, the ones who are in authority, the ones who have power, the rich. And so th it was, that was still, the word Lord was still in common vernacular of the day. What we would say, 
we don't really use the word Lord in that sense anymore. I, I, I would like to replace it, and it's not a perfect replacement, with the word leader. That God created men to lead. He created men to be a vice regent. God's over all, and men, is meant, men, men are meant to rule under him. Okay? And Adam shows us what that looks like. He leads the way by first naming all the animals. That's he's showing, he's exercising dominion by naming the animals. Then God brings him the best thing of all, his wife. Whoa, man, right? He's, and he names her. She'll be called woman because she's taken out of the rib of man. And he speaks poetically over his wife. He's exercising dominion. Now, so it is with us. Every single one of you in this room, you were created by God to lead in some capacity. When Jesus tells us in Matthew 28, all authority, hear this like a Lord speaking to a vice Lord, okay? Vice Lord. <laughs> that used to be a game back in the day. I don't know if it still is. but All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them, listen, to obey all that I've commanded you. Jesus is telling his disciples to have dominion, to lead as his vice regents, his little lords in his authority and power. See, men, we were created by God to be leaders, leaders in our home, leaders in our churches, leaders in our cities, leaders in our world. We should be risk-taking, visionary leaders. Think about Adam looking at his garden, right? Never, never seen any, I mean, literally, everything is undiscoverable, undiscovered out there. And God's saying, go exercise dominion. And every morning, Adam would wake up and go out there and probably discover something new, figure something out about the world, how God made it, and then, more, and then plan. When God was telling him, the cultural mandate to go out there and be fruitful and multiply and subdue the creation. He was telling them, go, basically, go to the moon, build cities, create a healthcare system, right? C create sewage waste plant. That's a good thing for mankind, right? Go out there and discover. Go out there and be visionary. See the raw materials that I have given you and go and bring about human flourishing to the best of your ability. Men, God created you to lead in some capacity, to look at your home and go, how can I help this thing flourish? To look at your spouse and say, how can I help her flourish? To look at your neighborhood and go, what would make our neighborhood better? How can I promote human flourishing in our neighborhood? How can I make disciples in my neighborhood? How can I make this business more profitable? How can I make this business a better blessing to the city? You were created by God to do those things. That's part of what it means to be a godly and a good man is you step into things and you make them better. You step into them and you help them flourish. Now, here's where things often go wrong. Because of the fall, we are all born bent. We're all born in sin. And that means each of us is turned away from our original design. 
Some of us are bent more towards domineering leadership. So we just want to run people over, right? That's, we just want to get stuff done. We just want to make a better name for ourselves. And so we can take the role of bully and we like to boss people around. We have more of a swagger. We boast. Um, we're proud, arrogant, and we're not really worried about anybody's feelings. Now, there's a time for that. If you're in war, you're not worried about people's feelings, right? But in a home, you need to worry about people's feelings, right? Now, others, that's one bet. We know this. We know the, we know, uh, the, uh, the bully. But the other side is the passive. We're, we're, the MOOC is one of the ways they call it in Hollywood. It's the, it's the Billy Madison. It's the Will Ferrell. It's the, the character that all these guys play. Just the, he's always immature. He's always passive. The woman is the hero in every one of those stories, right? He's the one who sits back and just kind of lets it happen. It's the guy who doesn't get involved. It's the guy who is so afraid of doing the wrong thing that he does nothing. This is the man who's prone towards procrastination, abdication of his responsibility. Oh, okay, honey, you just go ahead. You, you do all that. And just kind of stays out of the fight. Just a, a guy that stays. So we got one guy that's running around guns blazing all the time. And we got the other guy that just won't get in the fight. And both of the, these ideas of manhood are ungodly and wrong. God calls us to something much higher. And I think he shows us very specifically how, so he's placed us in this, he's called us to worship him, he's called us to go out there and, and make the world a better place and lead, and I think he shows us in two very important words how we're supposed to do that, and that's in 2.15. Let's look at 2.15 again. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and keep it. To work it and keep it. Now, this is interesting. There's this, like I already kind of, this wild at heart fallacy that's out there that men are just created to be wild. And you can, you can kind of sense this, like in the military, um, men were, cre you know, like were created to go out there and be war fighters and do all these great things. And that is true, an aspect of us. We are men to go out there and make people safe and sacrifice life and limb to make that happen. But you, you know there's something wrong when that warfighter has a family at home and he can't stop from going tour after tour after tour after tour, right? Now, I don't, I'm not here to say how many tours a guy should do or anything like that. But what I'm saying is God created us to be visionary leaders, to go out and take ground, to go out there and fight when we have to fight. But he also called us to work it and keep it, to come home and start a family to stop taking new ground and cultivate the ground that he's already given us, right? Can you imagine the farmer that just keeps getting more and more and more and more land and yet can't take care of the property he's already got? He's called all of us to have a certain amount of acreage, to have a certain amount of land, to have a certain amount of influence, and then pause the expansion effort and now begin to work the land and keep the land, That's what, and the, the word, again, I'm gonna use an old word. Well, it's not an old word. We use it, the word husband, right? But husband, you know what husbandman, you know what husbandman is? If you Google husbandman, I, I did this week, it just means farmer. 
That's what a husband is, a farmer, someone who can cultivate things, someone who takes raw materials and makes them flourish, right? That's what a husband, a husband, he shoots the wolves, right? He protects the flock, right? He causes the ground to to flourish. That's what a husband does. They don't just keep taking more and more. They settle down and work and keep what God has given them. Now let's break these two words down, work. I've already said work is a good gift of God. Young men, you need to be learning how to work and work hard. Uh, Even when it's 90 degrees out, you got to mow the grass. Guess what? Grass still grows. You know what that means? You still got to cut it, right? We got to learn how to do hard things because our life is an increasing, it's on an increasing scale of doing hard things. Eventually, you got to do the ultimate hard things, die and leave it all behind. And so a young man who doesn't learn to work is never going to potentially learn to work and do hard things. So to work is to labor to make things grow, to make a business grow, to make a family grow, to make a neighborhood grow, on and on and on. It means, here, here it is, now listen, I don't want to just get this machismo idea. To work the land, to work what God's given us, means to nurture, to cultivate, to tend, to build up, to guide, and to rule over. I want you to think about in all the ways that God's called you to work in your career, with your spouse. You're to work on your marriage. You're to cause that thing to flourish and grow year by year. Your kids, kids are a lot of work. We're to, cause, we're, we're to work on our relationship with our kids to help our kids grow out of the, the natural foolishness that they're, bent, that they're already born into and grow up into wisdom. That's hard work, guys. We're to work in making disciples. So not just our wife, not just our kids, but other men were called by Jesus to disciple other men into his kingdom. In our missional communities, we're to think like farmers in our missional communities. How can I make this thing grow? How can I nurture it? How can I cause it to flourish? How can I shoot the wolves? In our church, Secondly, to keep. To keep is to protect and sustain progress that's already achieved. To keep it is to build a fence in one sense, right? To keep bad guys out, to keep enemies out, to protect things. It's guarding. It's keeping safe. It's watching over. It's caring for and maintaining Now, this is where, so if in working we learn to kind of maybe be entrepreneurial or to be visionary, to be hard hard workers, listen, in keeping, this is where we learn to be patient and caring and nurturing to those under our leadership. The keeping, it used to be common knowledge. Young men, when you say, I'm not ready to get married, you're right, you should get married. That used to be common knowledge. Men need to get married. They need to settle down. They need to learn how to be in a relationship with a feminine, with a woman, right? They need how to be, 
They, they learned work and war and fighting and, and, you know, they learn all that kind of masculine, but then they need to learn the other side of masculinity and how does that relate to femininity? How does that nurture and protect and guard? You need that to actually mature into manhood. I'm just trying to get ready for marriage. Well, good, but you're never going to be ready until you're actually married. And then it's going to take a few years to even get settled into that. So our role as men, you could put this pretty simply, there's this leadership side that we're meant to lead and, and go out there and take new ground. And then there's this side that we're meant to kind of be servants or husbands that we're meant to be, you could put that together, servant leaders. That's what we're called to be. Have a, be tough and tender, right? Have a strong backbone, a strong mind, and a soft heart. To do hard things and make hard decisions, but then also come alongside our wives, <clears throat> our kids, our disciples, <clears throat> and gently help them mature and flourish. And it's interesting, we see this servant idea, this servant leader vision of manhood, we see this perfectly in Jesus. When Jesus is God with us, he's God become man. He is not God become woman. Now there is, there is some overlap in just our humanity, absolutely. But Jesus specifically shows us what it looks like to be a godly man. We don't have to wonder what God would be like if he was us. We go to the scriptures. We don't have to wonder what God's called us to do. We go to the scriptures and we look at Jesus. The same Jesus who has the power not only to throw down tables in the temple courtyard. Some of us need that Jesus. You need the Jesus that flips tables, okay? Because you've grown up with a sissified Jesus, an effeminate, limp-wristed Jesus. Jesus was not that. Jesus could flip tables. When a whole crowd came against him, he stood in the midst and they couldn't do anything about it. Jesus was an absolute man's man. He could look face-to-face -face with demon-possessed people and go, get out. He could call dead men out of the grave. This Jesus also, though, had the capacity to show absolute tenderness to those who are most del delicate and fragile. In Matthew's gospel, we're told, quote, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, you hear that? A bruised reed he will not break. Here's the difficulty of being a man. How much weight can I put on my son without breaking him? Right? Jesus knew exactly how much weight for every single one of us. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick, you know what a smoldering wick is? Like, you never, it could come back out. It could come, it's close. He's not going to snuff it out. He's not going to exasperate us. Jesus knew how to put weight on us and yet not to crush us. It says this, a, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory and his name, the Gentiles, will hope. See, there is none stronger than Jesus. 
He was fearless before those who opposed him. He never once hesitated to say what, he need, what needed to be said. He wasn't worrying about public opinion. He wasn't worried about what the mob's going to say, what the Twitter mob's going to say. I can't make that decision. Everybody's going to think this about me. I can't say that. They're going to think I'm this. He spoke the truth no matter what. He spoke the truth even when he knew it would provoke violent opposition. Obviously, that's what got him killed. He confronted those who needed to be called out and he claimed victory over sin and death. This was no weak man and yet he was obviously no bully either. So we see that we are created to be worshipers who worship God in spirit and in truth. Listen, by being servant leaders like Jesus, by laying down our life for our wife, for our kids, for our church, for our community. This is what it means, at least in part, to be a godly man. But let me just state the obvious. This is really hard work. If it sounds easy, then I'm miscommunicating or you're mishearing. <laughs> if it sounds boring, then you literally don't get what I'm talking about. Listen, the reason video games are so fun is because they're, they're a knockoff version of what I'm doing right now. They're a non-real, real-world version. In a, in, in a video game, we all start, everybody starts off in the same, same spot. You start off with the same weapons. You start off with the same abilities, right? And there's a task in front of you, and you go out and you try to accomplish that task. And there's, guess what? If it's a good game, there's enemies. There's bullies. There's bad guys. There's people opposing you. And guess what? It's so fulfilling because all you have to do is snipe that fool with your thumbs and you win. You win. This is what it takes to be a winner in the game of video games. Why does that get into our souls? Because it's tapping into something that's really there. We were meant to go out and accomplish. We were meant to go out there and keep. We were meant to go out there and protect. We were meant to go out there and kill in some, in some regards. We were meant to go out and do those things, but not with our thumbs. Even on Twitter, not with our thumbs, okay? It's going to take real hard work labor to live this life, to do this thing. We are in a spiritual war. And God has called us to go out there and take ground for him in his kingdom. He's called us not just to make a living, save some money, and have a nice retirement. He's called us to literally fight the dragon. That's what, the, that's what Satan's called in the scriptures. The dragon, the great serpent and to train other dragon killers. Our sons should be learning how to be dragon killers. He's called us to protect the weak and disciple the nations. We're to love a wife, have a bunch of kids, and tame this wild garden that he's put us in. This is the story that we're a part of. This is what God is calling us into. St. Arrhenius said, 
the glory of God is man fully alive. And this is what it means to be fully alive, to be in a spiritual relationship with your God and to be living out the identity that he's given you as his worshiper and as his servant leader in this world, making disciples who make disciples. Now, the first question you might ask is, how do I do this? Imperfectly, I would, I would answer. How do I learn how to become a masculine, godly man? Well, here, here's the general answer. There's really only two ways. One, we learn it from God's word. And two, we learn it from godly men who teach masculinity to other men. And really, both of these are meant to work together. And uh, this is why God has given us the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs was written by a godly man to his son. We should spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. It teaches us what to aspire to. It teaches us what wisdom looks like. It teaches us what to avoid, right? We should spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs. Now, this is where we might, we might not like this prescription. There's a, sometimes there's a sense in our world where it's somehow ungodly or unmanly to study, to read, to have intellectual discussion, philosophical debates, but the Bible teaches us being intelligent, being well thought, being studious, being hardworking in our studies is a biblical pursuit, is a biblical aspect of manhood. We are all to be teachable, studious, and thoughtful. Now, we all learn in different ways. I know some reading is harder for some than others. I get it. But we need to embrace this idea. I was, I was watching, okay, so... Um, I'm watching this uh, former army sniper on YouTube uh, teach me how to hit the long shot, right? And this guy, typical kind of worldly man, we would say, man's man, army sniper, you know, all, the, the whole deal. Um, and I'm thinking, this guy, first of all, I'm thinking, this guy probably, you know, struggled through um, math, right? This guy probably struggled through algebra. He's probably hate, hated school. And as he's, describing for, as he's describing how he, all of the physics behind, so when the bullet leaves the gun, at 50 yards, it's traveling up, and it's going to hit. If you, if you sight your gun in at 50 yards, it's going to hit, the, it's going to hit your red dot at 50 yards, and then it's going to rise from there. And then it's going to come back down because of the curve of the earth and gravitational pull. And then at 200 meters, it's also going to cross your red dot, and it's going to hit. So when you're sighting in at 50, you're also sighting in at 200. But then if you go to 36, you could go to here. And if you go to 15, you could go to here. And then you got to calculate the wind velocity and the curvature of the earth and the sun and the humidity and the dew. And I'm like, so you're doing complex math is what you're telling me? A lot of it on the fly, right? It's not ungodly. It's not unmasculine. Now, here's the deal. There is some real problems with the way our kids learn. If I was learning, right, geometry, like <laughs> through snipey, <laughs> that might help me, right? That might help me. I might, have, I might have been a little more engaged instead of going, this has nothing to do with my life, right? 
But we are called to study men. We're called to be learners, right? So if you're a young man or you didn't have a godly father growing up, listen, you should spend a lot of time in the book of Proverbs learning how to be a godly man. Read a proverb a day. Memorize them. Write them on pieces of paper. Put them in your room. Put them in your car. Nobody becomes a godly man by accident. Now, this is also why all of us need to be constantly learning. No man has arrived. Men, do you have a library at home? Do you have a bookshelf or two full of leather-bound books? Right? That smells of rich mahogany. Do you have good theology at home? You should have a big, you should have some big books that make your kids go, whoa, right? I've got books big enough that my kids go and get them when they want to build forts. All right, this one will hold a blanket, set it on there, right? Do you have books, do you have godly, do you have good biographies of godly men? You can have some big ones and you need to have some little ones. So when your kid needs to do a book report on some man, you can give him Hudson Taylor. You can give him Charles Spurgeon. You can give him something that's going to compel him and show him that godly men do more than just come to church and sing songs. You even need just good fiction books like Beowulf and Lord of the Rings and books that inspire just even in a worldly sense the, the, the ways of, that God has created man that are in line with the, what the world sees as well. The ones who do victorious deeds. The ones who fight battles and win, win war. Your kids need that too. They need to be inspired by that. You need that too. So every man should be working on a library. Every man should be having a bookshelf filled with some good books and throwing away the garbage, right? Throwing away the worldly, the worldly junk. <clears throat> Now, masculine men are lifelong learners who take the time to grow in wisdom, and you do not grow in wisdom by spending hours a day on the internet researching conspiracy theories and listening to cable news. And there may be, the, may be right now, the most pressing issue in our day is our attention is being captured by cable news and conspiracy theories, and po politics. Politics are important, but if you're spending 15 minutes a day in your Bible and two hours watching Fox News or CNN or some other obscure thing that they have the truth on YouTube, you're being formed as a disciple of that thing rather than Jesus. And here's the deal. Guys, you come to church an hour or two hours a week. I'm trying to put out a podcast a week. You go to MC maybe another hour or two a week. But if you're listening to news and you're reading news four, six, eight hours a day, what are you being formed by? That's the, that's the discipleship strategy of our world. That's the danger of our phones. YouTube, right away, open it up. 
Twitter, open it up. Instagram, open it up. Facebook, open it up. You're being formed. Your loves are being formed. Your thoughts are being formed. Your philosophies of life are being formed. And, and we're being tricked into thinking that we're actually intelligent and we know what we're talking about because we can mimic some talking head on TV or YouTube. When we've ne- Have you read a book on it? Before you wax eloquently about immigration, have you read a book or two? Because anybody who makes it simple, it's not simple. Racial inequality. Have you read a book or two? Or have you watched a couple of YouTube videos? Right? Godly men should desire to be scholars in some sense. Now, where should I start? You might say, where should I start? Start in the book of Proverbs. Start with one of the books. I, if, you, if you want to start in theology, you want to start knowing God better, I say, read the book Knowing God by J.A. Packer. Phenomenal book. I've got some books up here just to whet your, man, or whet your appetite for manhood. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> love it. Um, and they go from order to easiest read to a little more ex- exegetically dense and, and philosophically dense. We've given away some of these um, for uh, Father's Day in years past. Um, this one is called The Dude's Guide to Manhood by Darren Patrick. And Derek was somewhat of a mentor to me. And I want, you, I want to tell you something. Darren was a man who, who tr- was trying to figure out manhood on his own, in a sense, because he, ne- he, he was saved late in life, never had a father, a godly father, and he struggled, and, he, and, he, and this last year, he committed suicide. And it was really hard on me, and he was a godly man, and he had some things to learn, but he was really broken on the inside and didn't have brothers that he could really walk through this life with. And so this is an easy read. He wrote it because he was a dude's dude and he, he was the chaplain for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was, um, and so he wrote it for the average dude. So this is a, a great book. Uh, another one is called Manhood Restored by Eric Mason. Um, uh, e. Mace, he is the founding pastor of, of Epiphany Fellowship in Camden, New Jersey. Um, he is uh, African-American brother, great brother, great book. Um, this one is called Future Men by Douglas Wilson. I know a lot of our guys have read this. If you're raising boys, this is what you need to read. This is gold. Um, pretty easy read, too. And then we're getting a little more difficult in our reading. This is called God, Marriage, and Family by Andrew Kostenberger, uh, a really good scholar today. And then um, lastly, we have Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And this is by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. And this is, this book I would buy just for the two articles alone, the article, uh, the two articles by John Piper and then, and then Ray Ortland. Um, phenomenal stuff. And so if you don't have these, I would recommend every man should probably buy these. You should have these on your shelf and work your way through them. Um, and then lastly, guys, listen, hey men, if you haven't taken Porterbrook, you should take Porterbrook. Porterbrook puts you in a relationship with two or three other men where you're actually going to be learning how to do this kind of, some of this stuff, okay? So I'd encourage you. If you want, if you still, I bet you, I know the guy that runs Porterbrook, and I bet you I could still get you in. If you, if you want to jump in, I could probably squeeze you in, okay? Lastly, I want, I want you to listen to this quote um, by Doug Wilson, author of the book, The Future Men. Quote, we should want our boys to be aggressive 
and adventurous. They are learning to be lords of the earth. We should want them to be patient and hardworking. They are learning husbandry. We should want them to hate evil and to have a deep desire to fight it. They are learning what a weapon feels like in their hands. We should want our boys to be eager to learn from the wise. They are learning to be wise themselves. We should want them to stand before God in the worship of God with head uncovered. They are the image and glory of God. So that's all I've got this morning, guys. So I want to have Q&A open up. I mean, if, here's the deal. If you've got a question, three or four other guys got questions in here. And um, so ask it, be bold. Practical stuff. I wasn't as practical. I know I'm more, it's more of a vision type of thing this morning. So any Q&As that, that I, could, I could answer, any questions I could answer. Do we need a break? Should we do a break and then come back? Or should we just do it right now? Do it or break? <laughs> what? We don't need it? All right. We're just going to do it right now. We'll get you guys out of here early, but let's do, let's do uh, any questions. <clears throat> or thoughts. Can we have thoughts? We can... well, so I'm thinking through what you said about we don't arrive here on accident. But I think at the same time, like I feel super grateful for this church because I know that like it's it's kind of easier to partake in the stuff that's happening here than you know where I was before coming here. I know that I wouldn't like what was what I had access to and the community of people and the leadership I had access to was not even close to where I'm here. So but what that means is I'm leading a mission community. I've got a fight club that I'm meeting with on a regular basis, right? I'm building relationships with these guys. I'm, I'm worshiping God passionately every single week on Sunday morning, right? It's like following through with those things and, and, and being present in the things that are laid out in front of you. Like if there is any type of just arriving here, it's it's partaking in the things that are available. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we have a structure at, our, at, at Sacred City. We've kind of structured ourselves around a structure that's how to make disciples and how to build godly men. And so we've got some of those things that are, are available that you can just jump into. We've got a strong liturgy that's meant to form us in a, in a certain type of way. We've got the worship of God on Sunday. We're preaching exegetically through books of the Bible. We've got Porterbrook available. We've got missional community available. We've got fight clubs that are out there. So you can really, there's a sense where it can be kind of plug and play. Just jump in and you're, and you're, going, to, you're going to be being formed in a certain way. But there's also, for some people, this isn't John Deere. It's not an assembly line. And so it's going to take active engagement and you're going to have to become a disciple maker at some point. And that's one of the things it means to be a man is to actually, to be learning and to be helping lead other people, to be taking roles in missional community, to be starting serve in the church, to be, to be giving back and not just be what we would say is a consumer, right? Just coming and just receiving, but actually being a producer or someone who, someone who gives back, right? And there's some of you yeah, so that, that's that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you talked about, like, rhythm of, like, your reading habits. I know you read a ton. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, like, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So super, he's asking me how am I, have I been intentional about my reading habits and the, the discipleship of Javin in the midst of all of um, the crazy stuff that's going on? Great question. So first off, I want you to see the kind of dichotomy in the two things, in the working and the keeping that I talked about. The working, I, I am really good at the working, the visionary, the getting after, the taking ground, the expanding, to start a new business, to start this, to start that. I just, I, I'm thrilled about that. And I have Rev to do the keeping, okay? So that's kind of how the church works. But, but, that, but the problem is, the more you get your hands in, the bigger your kingdom becomes, the harder it is to keep. And then you become a bad king, right? You become a bad ruler. You become a bad father. You become a bad husband. You become a bad pastor. Because you've, you've taken ground, and now you can't keep it. And this is exactly what happened to one of our founders, Mark Driscoll, okay? Um, he got too big, and he couldn't keep it. Bottom line. And then it folded. And thankfully, it, they had multiple churches, and it, it, they're, they're doing fine now. But so you have to be very intentional about focusing on the area that you're probably the weakest in. And so if you're focused in, uh, focused, if you're, if you're weakest in the get after it and go to work and work hard, you probably need, let me just say it like this, you might need to wake up early in the morning and go work out. That might be the first thing you need to do. But if you're like me and you, you, you're the weakest in the keeping, in the tending, I can't get up and go work out. I have to get up and work on my soul. I have to get up and spend an hour to two hours reading my Bible, reading a few books, and slowing down, and tending, and praying, and, and, and slowing everything down. That's what I have to do. And I have to spend the, the, the fresh ideas, and the do new things, and the be aggressive, and be a go-getter, that stuff comes natural to me. I have to spend more time focused on how do I slow my soul? How do I calm myself down? How do I get to a place where I can hear the Lord? How do, and so that, that's what I need. So for me, um, it's very simple. I wake up. I have a liturgy where I make myself a 392 pour over. I wake up before everybody else. And I need, I want to be up an hour or two before everybody else. And then I go and I find my quiet spot. And that, you know, always is a rotating spot depending on the weather. I'd like to be outside if I can. And I start with my Bible reading plan. And I read my Bible. Um, and then I pick up a book, usually from a dead guy, a very big book. And right now I'm reading through John Newton stuff. And, um, and I just let it slow me down, let it pastor me. And then I'm reading two or three books on top of that that are good for my soul in the moment. Not a politic book, not a, you know, not a biography, something that's devotional but deep. A lot of times it's theology. A lot of times it's literally systematic theology that I'm reading through because it causes me to think deep things, things about God. So that's, and then I, I'm always listening to audiobooks in the car. Um, I'm always reading other books in the afternoon. And I'm always carrying dozens of books with me, with my phone. I have thousands of books in my library. I have thousands of books um, in my commentary that I'm reading, all, I'm reading all the time. Anytime I'm stopped and I'm waiting, I'm reading. When I went to the ER, I went to the ER, with my iPad, with my Kindle on it, and with a hard-bound book. Um, you're never going to find me 
without, without a book. So it's, it's the same thing where it's easy to go to Facebook, it's easy to go to Twitter, it's easy to go to those things, but it's also easy just to open a book. It's also easy to just read a little bit, you know, and just knock it out bit by bit. And you'll be amazed if you just start listening to audiobooks how fast you can go through books. And I almost always listen to some, you know, I listen to like the cultural stuff typically. Biographies and cultural stuff I listen to uh, on audiobook. Uh, somebody says, you got to read this book. It's amazing. Dr. George Peterson put it out. I'll listen to that and I'll go, oh, okay, okay, yeah, mm, ah, I get it. I don't need to underline, highlight. When I'm reading theology and reading that kind of stuff, I like to underline, highlight. I got put little bitty post-it notes that I put on everything. So when I can, when I want to go back, I just open it up and I can find that kind of stuff there. So that's um, basically my, my reading habits. Um, you guys know, or maybe you don't know, anytime we're having, so if, if I'm talking about racial stuff, I'm not going to talk about it until I've read several books. If I'm talking about any, whatever stuff I'm talking about, I'm reading several books before I'm, I'm, I'm speaking about it. So at least I know both sides of the issue. Um, and so I do, a lot of, I do a lot of reading. A lot of that kind of stuff is called emergency reading. Uh, somebody asked me a question. I don't know. I got to go read a couple books about it. Um, and so, yeah, so that's my reading. Now, my intentionality with, with Javin, I don't, um, that's pr probably, I probably need more pointed questions on that. My, I mean, everything I'm talking about this morning, this is my, my desire is to make him a godly man. That's, that's my desire. And so we're constantly talking about um, be becoming a godly man around the dinner table, when we're all going for bike rides, when we're doing hard things, when he's being a butthead to his sisters, right? It's just, it's just always, it's, and so there's a lot of things. If you go back and listen to a podcast I did a few weeks ago or a few months ago, he turned 13 and we did a, a manhood, uh, a manhood ceremony, basically. Um, basically kind of like a Christian bar, bar mitzvah, like coming to manhood, like you're stepping into manhood, things are about to get real. And so I had five, uh, five men of God come around him and speak to him about certain, certain uh, aspects of his life that God was calling him into. Um, and so it's just that. It's talking with my wife, constantly saying, it's all my kids, not just my son, but all my kids. Where are they at? What are they needing right now? Where are they going crazy? And what do we need to do? And it's just constantly evolving, man. Just think of it like, you know, you're in war. It's, it's evolving tactics. As, as you do something, they respond one way, I have to respond another way. It's constantly evolving tactics, right? I let my child watch this. She starts acting like a brat. I take away that, okay? This is why I took that away because you start acting like that. You're mirroring those people, right? And then she starts behaving. Okay, maybe you can let her wa you know, watch it again. We're constantly evolving tactics. Um, and then clearly, I think education is a big piece of this as well. And so that's why we do Christian classical education because this worldview of being a good godly man is embedded in every class that they're teaching. They're teaching them how to be virtuous people and not just how to go up and, and make money, uh, get a degree and make money. They're teaching them how to, well, I think the, the, how to serve everywhere and lead anywhere or something like that, or serve anywhere, lead everywhere, something like that. <laughs> something, something like that. So, you know what I mean? That's the, that's, so that's, that's in line with the, our philosophy on parenthood. And so I'm like, dude, this is like, they're helping me. So why don't I just do that? And they, they help me. Instead of every day coming home and going, oh, your teacher said what? Oh, 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 no, your teacher is very wrong. Your teacher is very wrong. There are boys and girls, son. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's, very, it's crazy. 
So that's some of the ways. I mean, um, we don't have like Bible studies. Like it's not like an intentionality, like, all right, kids, gather around. Every night we read the Bible before bed. I have a devotional. I have the catechism, New City Catechism at dinner table. It sits right by me. We sing the doxology and we do a little bit of liturgy from the psalm at dinner time. And then um, we eat because I'm, I'm, I'm hangry, right? So we eat and then I eat really fast. And then I work through one question of the catechism or one story through our discipleship uh, book that we've got at the dinner table. And that's, and it's never, you know, the heavens don't open and the dove of the Holy Spirit falls down and my kids worship Jesus right there and confess all their sins. It, that doesn't happen. It's usually one kid is crying, one kid is throwing their meatballs, the other one is shirtless and acting obnoxious. Um, it's, you know, it's just that, it's that kind of, it's that kind of, you know, it's that kind of real world discipleship type of environment. But then it's just, as we're watching, here's one thing, as we're, and I've talked about this a little bit in the podcast I just did on culture. My son is probably tired of it now, but we'll be watching X-Men, we're watching whatever movie we're watching and I'll stop it. And I'll go, what are they teaching you about manhood? Or what are they teaching you about life? Or what do you think is going to happen now? Hmm, they just disobeyed their parents. What do you think is going to happen now? Probably going to go dad, bad, Dad. I get it, right? And then we watch it, and guess what? They disobey their parents, and now they're trapped, and now they're dying, and now this happened. And guess what? They need rescued, and who's the rescuer, right? So, or the bratty girl shows are the worst. The bratty girl shows. Pause it. What kind of attitude is she showing right now? What is she trying to get? What is she teaching you how to behave? What is the good life? What is, the, what, what, what is this show showing you the good life is, right? Men, if you were discipled by Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison and Tommy Boy, they taught you that, and I was, that was me in, in high school, okay, and college, actually. They taught you the good life is being a freaking moron, having no responsibilities, living off of daddy's income, and letting women rule the world. That's what that, it's hilarious. They were hilarious, but that's what they, that's the vision of manhood that they were selling us. And if we bought into that, you know, we need to turn from that and embrace, embrace godly manhood that Jesus teaches us. So that's some ways. Yes, sir. So what kind of advice would you give to men who maybe have healed Yeah. It's great. That's a phenomenal question. What do, you, what do I say to brothers who've embraced Jesus Christ and yet they've got a broken past, they've got a, they've, they've got a lot of wounds, they're called father wounds. Doug Wilson, Wilson, Doug Wilson wrote a book called The Father Wound, I think, or Father Hunger, phenomenal book. Um, and yet those wounds, we live out of our wounds. I mean, that's what happens. And those, li- those wounds can come back and they can hurt us and they can harm us. For my brother Darren... Um, specifically, he was super gifted and grew a really big church. And so he, as he, as he got bigger and bigger and got put on a pedestal, he got his, his men around him got smaller and smaller. And so no one really knew him because he was the guy up on, he was the guy up on stage. And so the number one thing that's going to help you deal with your father wounds and heal from your father wounds is to be around with other men who you can be open and vulnerable and say, I'm dealing with this. 
the reason I can't stop purchasing things and spending all my money is because I've got a hole in my soul from my father wound. Or the reason I'm a bully is from my father. Or the reason I'm this is from a father. And letting men in on that. Because the reality is we're going to limp our way into the kingdom. We're going to limp our way into the kingdom. But when we act like we've got it all together, it keeps hum humans away from us. You know? It bothered me for years when people, the, the, the stronger leader I was and the more successful I was, the less real people thought I was and the less people liked me. And then when I would share weakness and vulnerability, finally, this is who we want to know. I'm like, what is wrong with you? Why are you so weird that you only want to know me when I'm vulnerable? I was like, I couldn't get it around it. I'm like, when I'm killing it, you don't like me? I don't get it, right? There's something deeply human about being flawed and broken and we need to be vulnerable to that and open to that and let others in to walk with us in that. And that's, that's the way God gets in there and, uh, and heals us. You know, Leonard Cohen, right? The, the, is, is that in Hallelujah? I can't, or I can't remember where it is, but um, everything has a crack in it. That's how the light gets in, right? That's, that's um, a reality. Yeah. <clears throat> Any other questions? Yeah, that's good. So if you're working, so first off, working 40, 50 hours a week, that's okay. Uh, scripture tells, tells us we're to work six days and rest one, okay? Uh, another reason to have a lot of boys, right? They take care of the chores, chores at home. Uh, or girls, whatever. Uh, have a lot of kids. More chores get done. <clears throat> um, but your Sabbath day typically should be Sunday. And the Sabbath is not just the chilling out, resting, vegging out, playing, watching football. It's meant to... It's meant to be soul rest, restorative, rest, restorative, and that's the worship of God. So first of all, I'd tell you, coming to church on Sunday and even setting up chairs or, do, or serving, that's still rest. That's still worship. You're out of your normal rhythm and you're worshiping God and that's still restorative. And so I would say, do that and then enjoy some time with the family and then maybe go for a bike ride or work out or do what you enjoy. Go shooting or do something that you enjoy, right? Now that's the balance is, doing family stuff and doing, you know, stuff that's fun for you, right? And you, you've got to find that balance. So for me, one of the things we do a lot is we take, yesterday, we, I can't do, I can only do non-vigorous exercise right now. And so we, I took all my kids on, the, on a 10-mile bike ride, you know? My five-year-old daughter went on a 10-mile bike ride. She killed it, you know? And so when your 13-year-old cries about he can't go on a bike ride, tell him about my five-year-old daughter, all right? <laughs> that went in 90 degree heat from 10 to noon yesterday. And the whole time I'm like, you're killing it, baby. You are amazing at riding bike rides. I can't believe how good of a bike rider you are. And you just saw how red her face was when she got done. But <laughs> like, I'm teaching them how, I mean, literally, I'm like, guys, do it. I asked my son, I said, doing hard things is important. And hard things can be fun. And guess what? I took Javin on this in Colorado this year. I said, you're going on a vision quest tomorrow. And he said, oh, man, Dad. And it was a 20-mile bike ride up a mountain and 2,500 feet of elevation climb and then and back down. And uh, we got through it. If you ever want to hear the story, he did, he did amazing. Um, Jeremy Miller, on the other hand, uh, never mind, I won't, I won't talk about that. Uh, but anyways, 
we get down and we, and then one of the things he said to me is, uh, dad, after that bike ride, everything is easy. I'm like, hmm, exactly. He didn't think he could do it. He did it. Now everything's easy. And then he had a wrestling camp and they had a crazy wrestling camp out at Summit Training Center. And they had four practice. It was all day. You'd literally drop them off at seven in the morning. And then I picked them up at eight o'clock at night. They had four different pra- two hour practices all day long in the middle of heat. And every Tuesday night he has practice and Thursday night he has practice. And it's always super hard, super hard, super hard. After this day long camp of nonstop practice, he's like, every practice is now easy, right? And it's, you learn a new capacity. You know, you do hard things, you learn a new capacity and you learn how to have fun in hard things, right? So, um, so anyways, balancing that. I also know if I want to get a workout in, I don't bring my kids, right? Because I want to pedal fast and get my heart rate up and work hard and, you know, I can't do that with a five-year-old unless I'm dragging her. So hopefully I answered that question. So Sabbath is, yeah, doing, worshiping God, enjoying family time, and doing something that you love. And if you're not, if you have a hands-on job, that might mean getting a book and going for an hour or two to the, to the coffee shop, putting headphones on and just reading for two hours. If you have a very intellectual job, that might mean digging a hole in the backyard. There are days, <laughs> listen, when it happened, when, when we had that derecho or derecho or whatever the heck it's called, it was so liberating to get my chainsaw out for two days and just go to my neighbors and just chainsaw. I'm not figuring out what to do about the coronavirus. I'm not figuring out what to do about racial injustice. I'm not figuring out all the complexities of dealing with the Sermon on the Mount and all the stuff that's going on in people's lives. I'm cutting wood. And you know what's amazing? It was there. I chopped it up and then I moved it and it was clean and done. It was rejuvenating for my soul, right? So if you work a lot with your mind, you might want to work a lot with your hands on your day off. You know, it might be mowing the grass. It might be doing woodworking. It might be, you know, planting. I don't know. Anything else? Any other questions? Yes, sir. Yeah, so I haven't read it yet. Again, I'm, I'm just recommending Doug Wilson like crazy, but he's got a book called Productivity. And Doug Wilson, he, he's interesting because he's, he's, he started a Christian school. Actually, he started the classical Christian movement. He started the movement, and now he's got New St. Andrews College. He's got a couple churches. Um, don't agree with everything he teaches, but on some of this stuff, it's, he's good. And he, he talks about, he reads, so one, First thing you should do, or the question was, you got all these different things. We got to be good at all of them. We got to grow in all of them. How are we going to do this? One, you might actually realize that Netflix is a waste of time. You might actually realize that you're wasting your life playing video games. You might actually realize that. And so you might stop doing that. So I'm off of Twitter. I'm off of Instagram. I'm off of Facebook. I, I do watch the YouTube videos occasionally because you can learn so much on it. I do enjoy that. 
but I, and I don't get to watch TV very often. I don't watch movies very often, okay? But one of the ways he does it, he calls it plot activity, just plotting, just step forward. So one of the things he does when he comes home at night is he has like three books and he reads like whatever. I'm just gonna use the word number 10. He reads 10 pages of three books. In the morning, he writes a thousand words because he's an author too. So he just, every morning, he does his time with the Lord and then he writes a thousand words or 500 words or whatever it is. And he just does a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And then after a month, he's read a book. After a month, he's wrote a book. Or after six months, he's, he's written a book. And it's just, I'm not trying, I don't have two hours to sit down and read right now, but I might be able to read five pages in 20 minutes. And as you do that, it just adds up. And you get through big books that you never thought you would have ever got through just by plotting, 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 plotting. And then at the end of the year, you go, holy crap, I read that many pages. And I can't believe I read that many pages because I'm only reading five pages a day or, or whatever it is. So it's just having that, being a plotter, having that idea of just, this is a long obedience in the same direction. I'm gonna take a few steps forward every day. I'm not trying to hit home runs here. I'm just moving forward slowly, slowly, slowly. And I'm gonna become the man that God's called me to become. I think that's probably what, how, I would, how I would describe it. It's, always, it's a cultural maxim that says, people um, overestimate what they can get done in a week and underestimate what they can get done in a decade or something like that. And that's, that's true. Christians are plotters. Yeah. Anything else? All right, guys, listen, if you want, if you found this helpful and you want to do this again in maybe a month, would you do me a favor and just send me an email or send me a text or uh, message me on Realm just so I know? Because literally, I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste your time. And so there's no pressure here. This is, but if you found it helpful, we'll do it. And we can invite other guys into it. And we can kind of narrow things down a little bit. Um, also, I'm, I'll hang around here for a while if you want to come up and ask me a question. You pray for us. Father, I do thank you for these men. Every single man here, you've called into relation. I, pray, I know you've called them in to relationship with yourself. So I pray that they'd respond to that through faith and repentance. And I pray that they would pick up the mantle, the heavy responsibility, that acts of biblical manhood, and they would learn to swing it and their hands would strengthen as they swing that ax. Um, I just, I thank you for the men and the way that they lead our church, the way that they lead their missional communities, the way they lead it in their home. And I ask that you would just cause them to flourish in their business, cause them to flourish in their home, cause them to flourish spiritually with you, cause them to flourish intellectually as we come to um, better embody biblical manhood. I pray all this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.